coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center home of the Woodland Baptist Church on the 12th of February, 2023, of Confession and Repentance. Well, I'd like to sort of continue our mini-series here on being fishers of men. We talked about the, the call on our life to become fishers of men, much like he called his disciples. And then we talked about, last week, we talked about only one way and how that uh, is a, a charge to us to be concerned about the lost because apart from Jesus, they're lost. But I'd like to pick up two words today that are essential in salvation and talk about them a little bit. And at first, they sound like negative words, but I want to show you how positive they are. And these are the two words of confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. We'll start with the first word. And, and in the process of this message, I want to show you how they go so well together. The first word is to confess. The Greek word homologeo means to say the same thing. Homo, where we get the idea of, of unity, of oneness, and of the same nature. And logeo is the Greek word for to say. So we say the same thing, is to confess. Usually we think of it in a negative way. They go some and arrest someone and then what do they want from that person who's committed this crime? Allegedly, they want a confession. Tell us you did it. Okay? And so a lot of times we use that in, a, in that negative sense of, okay, just spill the beans. Tell us what you did. Just come out with it. And so a lot of times... It is used in a negative sense to admit the true nature of our sin. To admit the true nature of our sin. Now, most of you have heard this story. If, if you have, just nod your head or take a short nap or something. But otherwise, I want to share this story again because it fits so well. And it's the apocryphal account of my sisters and myself. I'm the oldest in our, in our family of the kids. Uh, four kids in our family. One boy, two girls, and then another boy. So my sisters uh, shared a room, and my brother and I shared a room. But they were close in age. They were only like 15 months apart. So they weren't twins, but... They had a lot of the same kind of interests and everything. And of course, during that time period, they had their dolls. And one of the dolls that was popular at the time, well, still to some extent, was Barbie dolls, right? So in this apocrypha story, one day when I was bored, I left my room went into my sister's room and laid out over their made beds were some of their dolls. And 
here were some of the Barbie dolls. So I thought it'd be kind of cool and pop the heads off their Barbie dolls. <laughs> About the time I finished this little task, in comes my sisters and they start screaming bloody murder. Tim is ripping the heads off our Barbie dolls. Mom, mom. So mom comes in and goes, what's going on here? says, Tim came into our room. He ripped the heads off our Barbie dolls. And he says, Tim, did you do that? Yeah. Well, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Was I really sorry? No, no, no. So my sister is unsatisfied with my response. So one day when I was out with my friends, they went into my room. I didn't have any Barbie dolls, but I had some model airplanes that Mattel and some of those, you know, the plastic the pieces together and paint them and put the decals on them. And they thought they would try flying them. Of course, the airspace was abbreviated by walls. And so you can imagine what happened as the airplanes flew into this structure or two. About that time I came in and found them and I go, what are you doing? Mom! Sisters are throwing my airplanes against the wall. Mom came in and says, what's going on? And the I said, well, they're throwing the airplanes against the wall. Said, Mom said, did you do that? And they go, yeah. And they say, say you're sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> A lot of times, we treat confession and the word confession like that. We say, I'm sorry. Why? Because <laughs> you caught me, that's why. Am I really sorry? Not really. I didn't like my planes messed up, but I wasn't really too sorry about their dolls. They didn't like their dolls messed up, but they weren't really too sorry about my airplanes. The word confess and used in a negative sense is to agree or admit to the true nature of our sin. True confession is seen when we say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. If I could see what I did to my sisters the same way that they saw what I did to their dolls. And so when I confess, I said, yes, I did that. It was horrible, it was terrible. And if they could say the same thing about my planes, they could see it with the anguish that I saw it and confessed and said, yes, 
That's what I did. Then there would be true confession of sin. True admittance, saying the same thing about my sin as I would say about the sin I committed against them. We have an example of this kind of confession, although the word isn't used in this passage, but it's found in Luke 18, and you'll be familiar to the story as soon as we get there. Turn to your Bibles to Luke 18, chapter 18, verse 9 and following, and it's in the form of a parable, much like the story I just gave to you about my sisters and my airplane. It was a apocryphal story. Made for a good story, though, didn't it? And they really did have Barbies, and I didn't really have a tell airplane, but it, those things didn't happen. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. In verse 9, he says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Well, already you know how both of those were treated in society. Over here, exalted Pharisee. He is the righteous of the righteous. Over here, the tax collector, the lowest of the low. And they come in to the temple. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He says, but the tax collector, standing afar off, why? Because nobody would associate with him, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus' commentary on this is found in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee couldn't see himself as God saw him. He was just as much a sinner as the tax collector. He saw himself as above the rest even it says so. He sees, I'm, I'm up here. But the tax collector, although he was defamed by all, really saw his true character and confessed it. He said the same thing about his sin as God would say about his sin. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so we have an example uh, in the negative sense of how this word is used 
in the sense of admitting the true nature of my sin. Of course, we're most familiar with this word as it's used in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we go, man, I really like that verse. All I have to do is say my sin and God will forgive me because he is faithful and just. But let's look again at the word. The word is homo legato, to say the same thing about my sin. Confession of my sin isn't just to give a litany on my, my sins and say, okay, I've listened for you, God. God already knew them, by the way. I give you a list, and now we're all good because I've confessed them. I said, yeah, I did that. But if we really saw our sin the way that God sees our sin, we might have more of a reaction like David did in Psalm 51, when he says, I was tossing and turning on my bed, my sin is ever before me, and he saw the weight and the depth and, the, and how it negatively impacted him, and he says, yes, you are right, God, this is my sin. I own it. It's all of me. But you know the word homo legao isn't always used in a negative sense to admit the true nature of our sin. Just as often it is used in a positive sense to declare something as true because the idea of behind saying the same thing is we admit that this is true. We acknowledge that this is true. We agree that this is true. Isn't necessarily a confession of sin, but instead an affirmation of the true character of the Lord. There's plenty of stories here. Uh, Let's get down to John chapter 9, verse 22. You know the story, the man born blind, we've gone through it um, multiple times. And, uh, and Jesus puts the, the stuff on his eyes. He goes and tells him to wash it off. He comes back. He can see. Now the religious leaders call him before the council and go, what happened here? And he tells them the story. And he says, well, who did this to him? He says, I don't know. I didn't see him. So they call his parents. And his parents come in. And as the parents come in, he goes, what? Is this your son? He goes, yes, this is his son. Who healed him? And they go, well, he's of age. We don't know. But they said this in chapter 9, verse 22. His parents said these things. Because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And here, this confession isn't that Jesus Christ had done something wrong. This word confession here is used to have said, yes, I agree, Jesus is the Christ. So in a positive sense, the word homo legato is used then to describe 
the true nature and character of our Lord. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 says this, What does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So this is a, this is a statement of faith. And we often use it that way. How many have heard of the different confessions of faith? This is the way that this word is used positively. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So in this particular incident, and again, the word is used negatively to admit something but also to agree. Here it's used in a positive sense to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. One day, Paul said that Jesus, having humbled himself and come and become a man and then a servant and gone to the cross and died for our sins, that God would raise him up, which he did, and exalt him. And then he says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the word is used in a positive sense. I like this. If you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul is writing to his young son in the faith. And this is what he says. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and to which you were, you were made, you, which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And here's the word confession. How many have a translation that uses the word confession and confession in the same verse. Yes, there's a couple translations. You have a King James or New King James. It might read a little bit different. Here's what it says. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold, lay hold of eternal life in which you have also called and have confessed the good confession. In the presence of many witnesses. The reason that it's translated otherwise is because to our mind's eyes and our modern English doesn't make good sense to use that when we could substitute something else. But literally, as it was written, you've confessed the good confession. Well, certainly it's not used in the negative sense in that passage either, is it?
So I want to transition from this word confession, which is very important, that we would be declaring either our guilt because we say, yes, that's what you have done in our life. And speaking to an unbeliever, they need to come to the place where they confess and say, I admit this is how I've been living my life. This is the direction I've been going. And it's important. We're going to transition with another passage. Turn over a couple pages to Titus, the first chapter. Titus chapter 1. In verses 15 and 16, this is what Paul writes to Titus. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The word in verse 16, they profess to know God, is actually our same word, homo legal. They confess, I know God. But what did we say the meaning of that word was? To say the same thing as God says? And he says, they say it, but they deny him by their works. So was it true confession? No, that's why the translators put in the word profess. Because it wasn't true confession. If it had been true confession, they would have acknowledged who God was and who they were. They would acknowledge the holiness, the righteousness of God. They would have acknowledged their sin and failure. So that transitions to our second word, and that's the word to repent or repentance. Meta Noel, Noel, or this, in this case, the noun form, the Greek word means to change your mind. Change your mind. We often use it in the sense of turning from going one direction to going another direction. Hence, the picture on the front of your bulletin. You ever, you ever made a U-turn? I don't think anybody who's driven for any length of time hasn't made a U-turn, said to go, I was going in that direction. I, I need to be back there somewhere. Now, I'm not, I know that everybody is directionally supercharged. Some of you are struggle with direction sometimes. But let's say that I told you, let's get in a car and let's go to Seattle. Which direction is Seattle? Anybody? North. North. 
On I-5, which direction do you go? North. North. Okay, so we get on the freeway and we're headed south. <laughs> Are we going in the right direction? No. We're going the wrong way. Hopefully you're still in the southbound lanes. But you go in the wrong direction. You should be in the northbound lanes going north. So I call it to your attention and I say, we need to get this vehicle turned around and be headed northbound. And the person goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll do that. And they drive by another exit. And you go, why don't you get off and turn around and go back? Oh, man, I, I, you're right. I was, I was, I'm going the wrong way. So they continue on down the road. And they pass another off-ramp. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry. When you call it to their attention. Have they repented? No, by just saying they're sorry doesn't cut it. By just saying, oh yeah, I made a mistake. Doesn't cut it. They needed to confess and say, yes, you're absolutely right. And then it's going to translation, translate into some action, which in this case would mean turn around and going back the other direction. If we're going to get to Seattle and we continue going south, it'll be a long time before we get there. I have an illustration from some years back when our kids were in school and we were helping, I was helping, they were planning on taking a group of kids to the zoo. So they loaded up a couple classrooms full into the buses and I happened to be in the lead bus for no, for no good reason other than that, the bus I was in. And I was sitting up close to the front and the bus driver was the lead bus driver in the sense that she was the one that was to guide the other buses to the zoo. And so casual conversation sitting up there in the front I said, do you know how to get to the zoo? Which I thought was a legitimate question. And she goes, oh yeah, been there lots of times. So we're heading down I-5. And if you know the I-5 freeway headed south, you come to a place where it splits and the 405 goes across the Markham Bridge. And you have to take that bridge if you want to get over to the other side of the river and then find the 26 that takes you through the tunnel and the zoo is right there. We're motoring along and she's not getting over. I said that. Uh, I wanted to say something, but I'm not in charge of this bus. She goes on by that, I'm thinking, maybe she's gonna go to the other, other exit and come back to 405 the other way. I mean, that is possible to do. And I said, oh, I normally would have taken that. I suppose you're gonna take the next one. 
Oh, I know how to get there. So we cross over the second bridge, and right there is where you got to make the split to get onto the 405 coming from that direction, now traveling north on 405 to get to the 26. Drove right on by. Now we're headed towards the Twilliger Curves with a whole string of buses behind us. And now she's getting messages over her radio intercom. Why are we going this way? We missed the turnoff to go to, to the zoo. And she goes, well, I know where I'm going. We went all the way down to the Tiger and got on the 217, came up the back side of Portland. Needless to say, we burned some daylight that day, getting back. To repent is to say, confess, yes, and then change direction. She did. She did. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness, speaking of God, of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to Webster's original dictionary said, Repentance is the relinquishment of any practice from conviction that it has offended God. Whew. Yeah, they don't put that into the dictionary anymore. That was Webster's dictionary in 1828. Repentance is a relinquishment of any practice from conviction that it has offended God. Conviction there has to do with our first word, and now repentance means changing, to bring about a change. I ran across this statement, tweeted, twip, tweeted it, sorry. I adjusted it, how's that? A little bit to say repentance is the ongoing pursuit Pursuing that which pleases God. Do we do perfect repentance? No, it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing. What if I, having repented of my sins and become a believer, am I done with repentance? <laughs> no. In fact, if truth be known for a believer, we're just getting started. Because things that we would have overlooked in times past are now things that the Holy Spirit brings up in our hearts and life go, you might have let that slide, and I let it slide because you had bigger issues to deal with. But now that we dealt with some of the bigger issues, let's continue on down to refinement. Anybody ever use sandpaper? Yeah, some of you have. You start out with a real heavy grit, right? And if you just use that heavy grit and you were sanding things, are things going to be smooth? 
No, you're just, you're just knocking stuff down. But then through the process of refinement, you use a finer and finer and finer grit because the intention is to get rid of even the scratches that the first one made and get it down so that it's smooth. That's the work of God in our life. And each step along the line involves repentance because he goes, I'm going to knock down, down this ridge a little bit here. And as he knocks down that ridge, we have to go, yeah, I acknowledge there's a confession. And now I'm going to give this up too. I'm going to turn and follow you. Notice carefully that repentance always involves some sort of action. It isn't just repentance, I'm going to say something. It's going to do something. Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Acts 26, 20 says, Declare first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. means turning from something and turning to something. We turn from our sin, we turn to God, and he says, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. The call on our life as unbelievers is to, to confess our sin and to turn from it as a life choice. But then it's repeated as we continue on in our Christian life. Those same two things. One, affirmation of who the Lord is, repentance, turning from those sins which encumber us. Now, this is not a passage that you would normally go to, but I ran across it this week and I thought I'd share it with you. It's Isaiah 33. 14 through 16. It says, Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can stand in the righteous fire of the living God? <laughs> Who among us can dwell with the everlasting burnings? <laughs> no. But he answers, he says, He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppression, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed, shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, of course, the church had plenty of problems. We'll finish with this because listen to this statement that Paul made about those there in the church. He talks about his first letter, which caused him plenty of grief. And he says in 2 Corinthians 7, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. He says, my, my delight isn't in the fact that I caused you grief but because you were grieved into repenting. That when I spoke these truths into your heart and life, 
that it brought to you to the place where you repented. For you felt a, God, a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. In other words, we spoke these things because we wanted to see something better in you. He says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. He says, I didn't cause you grief just to cause you grief. I wanted to see in you repentance. For you see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. He says, I see these things all being born in you because you have repented. You have moved from following your old sinful, willful ways and gone to following the Lord Jesus Christ. And these things are being crafted and being built in you. And that's why I rejoice. Not that I gave you grief, but that it brought about repentance. How about us? When we deal with unbelievers, it becomes pretty obvious to us when a person has come to true confession and repentance. Because their heart attitude, their mind towards sin is going to turn negative and their things of God are going to turn positive in their life. They may have seen Jesus before as just a teacher, maybe not even given him the time of the day. Now he's become Lord. Before, sin was really appealing, and now you see all the devastation that's caused in your life, and you go, no, that is terrible. There's been a change. We used to run away from God, now we run towards him. We used to live a life of sin, now we put effort into living a life for God. We used to join others in fleshly living. Now we put our flesh to death and live in the spirit. We see that in the life of an unbeliever, unbeliever when they come to Christ with confession and repentance. But we see that ongoing work in the life of a believer as they also not now admitting their sin openly but now dealing with a profession about who Jesus Christ is. He's altogether lovely. He's wonderful. Not to say that we don't deal with our sin, because there's still the repentance part too. We will see crafted in us the holiness and righteousness of God. I bring these words to you, not just so... I could finish up a sermon here, but so that you would have a better understanding of what God is trying to do in the lives of unbelievers and in the lives of believers, bringing about a genuine change, moving into experiencing the glory of God in our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father may be true of us, that we confess in the negative sense of admitting our sin and in the positive sense of uh, professing and declaring the greatness of our, our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that we involved ourselves in repentance, turning from our sin and turning to you. We ask that these things would be true regularly in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name.